Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from 2 John chapter 1, verses 9-11. through 2 John 1, 9-11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. That's where the lesson will begin for today. And if you want an outline of the sermon, that's where you will find it. I'm so glad to see you here. We have a great crowd, like Paul was saying, with lots of people who are visiting. You're at a place today where you will always be welcome. Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve their, their, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. This um, is the week when polishing the pulpit begins. It's kind of interesting that that this has been going on about three decades now, and that it's still called polishing the pulpit. It was called that because a few guys, I think about six, would get together once a year, and they'd take a week somewhere in a hotel or some getaway place, maybe in a camp somewhere, and they would they would talk about ministry and about writing sermons, and they would work to, to build one another up. Well, by and by, they said, you know, we should invite some other guys, and so they did, and before long, well, they invited a few more guys, and eventually they, they said, you know, we should invite wives, too. We could have women's classes. And so that, that began. Well, anyway, today, this thing has grown to about 5,000 attendees, maybe a little more this year. And it's, it's the best lectureship program of its kind among our brethren in the world. At any given time of these eight days... You have just a wide array of choices, of speakers, of subjects from which to choose. And it is simply tremendous. Now, you're going to hear things if you're able to go or when you're able to go. You're going to hear lessons about practical things, lots of practical. Things about marriage and family and how to keep our family strong. You're going to hear, I don't know, a wide array. But one of the things that you're going to hear in a segment, will be difficult questions. And this is the one that, one of the lessons that I'm going to present this year at PTP. Can you throw that slide up? Yeah, there you go. They call this hot button issues. Now, you know from the get-go, this is going to be hard, right? The hot button issues. And in this lesson, what I'm to talk about is where should churches draw lines? Should all who believe Jesus is God's Son be fellowshipped or worshipped? With Now, you'll excuse the preposition on the end there, but that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting subject. And frankly, it is profoundly good to talk about. 
Because for the Lord's church, this is existential. This is so fundamental that everybody here needs to get it. And I decided, therefore, to come and talk about it today. So you know that I enjoy talking about fundamentals. And last week, we talked about house churches. And by the way, a number of people came to me after that lesson about house churches. And I didn't know this, but would say, uh, you know, I and some of them with tears would say, my husband and I lived in... Montana or someplace off and would say, when we were young, we were part of a house church. And the things you talked about, that's what we did. That's how it was. And, and so I thought that was very interesting. Well, today, today we're going to do some fundamentals again. And we start with Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Listen to this statement and see how it resonates in your mind. Doctrine divides. Jesus unites. What about that? Man, on its face, it just sounds so good. That's false doctrine. It is so definitely wrong, so distinctly wrong. And and this is going to be the launching pad for the lesson from Romans 16, 17. Doctrine divides, Jesus unites, implies, of course, I mean, the the great initial flaw is that it suggests that somehow doctrine of Christ and Jesus are two different things, and that doctrine ought to be pushed aside. That's something Jesus doesn't really care so much about. What he really cares about is, is love. And if we get the love thing right, the doctrine thing just doesn't really matter so very much. That is inconsistent with passages like the one that is our launching pad, our text for today in Romans chapter 16. Now, I'm going to read something to you that, uh, if you'll just bear with me, there are about three or four slides to this, and so that's a little longer than I usually read for a quote, but it's just the place we've got to start to launch this sermon. This is from the website Got Questions. You know, I, sometimes when I'm studying a passage, if, if I want to, uh, it's not uncommon for me just to read everything that I can find and commentaries and different things about that passage. And sometimes I have accessed this website, and and I've heard some of you reference it too, and sometimes there's some really good things on there about various passages. But this is the article uh, entitled, Are There Different Religions Within the Christian Faith? Let's read. With all the various denominations, schisms, associations, divisions, and sects within the Christian faith, some conclude that there are actually different Christian religions. That's not an accurate assessment. There's only one Christian religion. The different branches of the Christian faith are not separate religions, but rather distinct interpretations of what the Christian religion is supposed to be. For example, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, Protestantism are very different in their beliefs and practices. At the same time, they all claim to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Therefore, all three of them are commonly considered part of Christendom. Further, despite all the differences, they actually agree on many important issues, such as Trinity and the deity of Christ. While the differences in teaching and practice are important, they do not mean one is a Christian or one is Christian and the others are not. Orthodoxy, Catholicism, Protestantism, can all, cannot all be correct interpretations of Christianity, but all three, three can be considered branches of the Christian religion. Dropping down to the end of the article, perhaps all of this is getting needlessly complicated. 
Ultimately, the answer to the question, are there different religions within the Christian faith, depends on how you define the word religion, whether orthodoxy, Catholicism, Protestantism, and all the other Christian sects and cults should be considered part of the Christian religion. It's not really the issue. The true issue is whether a particular division of Christianity is following the core truths of historic biblical Christianity, that is, the, tr- the Trinity, the true deity and true humani- humanity of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ultimately, true Christianity is more than a religion. It's a relationship with God the Father, made possible through Christ Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So the idea is that that you have all of these, and there's over 3,000, I think, now denominations in Christendom. You have all these different religions, and they hold to some something like the deity of Jesus Christ, and that this makes up Christianity. This is Christendom. And it's true, he says, that that what some of these religions, orthodoxy and Catholicism and all of that, that sometimes they, they hold things in practice and beliefs that are not right, it's still, they're still part of the, the, the whole. They're still part of that. And thus, you have these comments today such as, it's doctrine that divides people. Jesus unites people. What does that mean? The ambiguity of it sort of stifling. And what happens is that if you start studying your Bible, you hit a brick wall in passages like Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, and he says, or 3, and he says, I want you to understand how to keep the unity of the faith. How is it then that people who, who attach themselves to Jesus in some way or another, how do they get together? How do you have unity? And a lot of people would say, what you do is you dismiss doctrine. Don't you be, it's, you know, it's like politics and religion. Let's don't talk about that. In religion, if you bring doctrine into the picture, what happens is people divide. So let's don't do doctrine. What we talk about is love. And people unite in love. And so then it doesn't matter. You get this, the point of view of this gentleman who I quoted is that everybody that has some attachment to Jesus Christ, at least believes in his deity, they have their own branch of Christianity and therefore we're all united. The problem with that is that if you want to endeavor, Ephesians 4, to keep the unity of the spirit, you got to get this. He said there's, there's one body and there's one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Now, now this great Christendom that he described in the quote would probably go along with the one Lord and they would go along with the one God. But when you talk about one body, which is the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, no, no, they're going to, let's see, that's not going to work. They won't do that. And if you talk about that there's one faith, no, we don't know. Well, that can't, that can't be reconciled with what he's talking about. That won't work. It can't, it's, no, there's a brick wall there. You can't do that. It hits the wall. If you talk about one hope, only one hope, then you see the problem. Every one of these seven ones is encased in controversy. Every one of them, and that's because of Satan and what he's doing. It's true that in the church, atheism has done us harm. That's very personal to some people. The push from, from hell to promote atheism is horrific. But I want to tell you this. Atheism has never come close to harming us in the Lord's church like denominationalism. Denominationalism its what's really really hurt us. Atheism chews at our heels like a, a chihuahua, but that's not what really has harmed us. What divides us 
is the concept that the doctrine doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. What you have in Christendom today, in order to, to supply the feed line to the quote that I read to you, is that the most important truth of Christianity is tolerance. The problem is that when you study the book and you get to passages like Romans sixteen seventeen, this passage is utterly intolerant. It is the, the heart of this passage is intolerance. I want you to mark those. I want you to note those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and I want you to avoid them. Come on now. It's, it, is, it is intolerant. Our faith in Jesus and the love that we have for Jesus must be strong, but it cannot be separated from the doctrine of Christ. So here's the first point. He says... I want you to note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn. A couple of things pop out at me from the verse. I want you to really emphasize in your heart the last part of that, that quote, which you have learned. Now listen to me. The doctrine which is essential, the doctrine of Christ, which he describes here, is something which can be communicated and can be learned. Can we know truth relative to religion? How do we carry out Christianity? Not only can we know it, we can teach it, and we're obligated to it. Isn't that what this says? This doesn't make any sense if we cannot know truth about religion. This doesn't make any sense if we aren't bound to a set of of teachings, of doctrine, of truth. We are bound. And he says, I want you to note these people. They're a category of people he wants you to note. The Greek word for note means what you think. It means I want you to direct your attention to. I want you to pay attention to. I want you to to note or the the King James. This is New King James. The King James says I want you to mark that person. It means to note him. It means to pay attention to this. Now, this this word doctrine. Uh, I'm going to give you some quotes now, some passages, and I drew them from the King James. The reason is that the King James typically, will, in fact, I think in all of these, will use the word doctrine. The New King James exchanged it for the word teaching. There's nothing nothing wrong with that. That's what the word doctrine means. But I want to emphasize the word doctrine because it's in Romans 16, 17, our passage. I want you to note those that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Now, the sister verse passage is 2 John. There's only one chapter there, verse, I mean, one uh, chapter uh, one, uh, let's go 9 through 11. Second John, verses 9 through 11. Perhaps familiar to you. Whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ. Now, you just get how strong this is. It is a mistake to say that it really doesn't matter so much in the big picture what you believe or what you practice in religion, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, or Protestantism, or all the wide array of different denominations. And denomination simply means, or denominationalism means that I believe we're getting it right in our denomination. I believe you're getting it right in your denomination. We may practice and believe, believe and teach and all these different things. It doesn't really matter so long as you have some connection to Jesus Christ. So you, long as you, you claim him to be deity, that's really all that matters. That's denominationalism. Everybody's getting it right. What does that say about scripture? It says that either we can't know truth, about religion, or we can know it, but it doesn't really matter. This passage says, and I want you to get how strongly this is said, whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. 
He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anybody comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, he's a teacher. He's coming to bring a different doctrine. If he doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You know what that says? It's the same thing as what our text today says. I want you to avoid this person. Well, the implication is just abundantly clear that we can know the doctrine of Christ about how religion is to be carried out, what Christianity means, and that we're obligated to it. Now, here's the objection to what I just said. The objection is that the doctrine of Christ talked about here is not the doctrine which Jesus taught. It is the doctrine about Jesus. Okay? So the idea would be that if you hold to the deity of Jesus, if you hold to the doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God, that's all that, you know, you, you've checked this box. That's all that is mentioned here. That's all that this reference is. So what I want to do in the next couple of minutes, this won't take long, let's go through the gospel accounts and pull out verses that use the term the doctrine of Christ. And as we go through them, just, just take a second. We're going to go through pretty quickly. As we go through them, I want you to ask yourself the question, Is this verse that uses the term doctrine of Christ in some form, is it talking about the doctrine about Jesus or is it talking about the doctrine which Jesus taught and left for us and bound on us? Now, let's start with Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28. came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. He ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Is that the doctrine about Jesus or the doctrine which Jesus taught? Here's Matthew 22, 33. It's it's the doctrine which he taught. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. It's the doctrine which Jesus taught. Mark 4, verse 2. And And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. Is that the doctrine about Jesus or the doctrine which he taught? It's the one he taught. Here's Mark chapter 11 and verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. It was the teaching which Jesus taught. Now let's go to to, uh, Mark chapter 12 and verse 38. He said to them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. Which is it? Is it the doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God, or is it the doctrine which Jesus taught? It is what he taught. It's not about who he is. This emphasizes what he taught. Here's Luke chapter 4, verse 32. They were astonished at his doctrine, or his word was with power. Luke 18 and verse 19 or John, rather, eighteen nineteen. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Now, again, when you read the New King James, it's common to, to change that word doctrine to teaching. And that's fine. The Greek word is, is good about that. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his teaching. Is that about the doctrine which Jesus taught or the doctrine about Jesus? And the answer is, in Second John 9 through 11, when, when he says, 
Whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ. If you don't abide in that doctrine means if you don't abide in the doctrine, the teaching which Jesus does. The information he gives us about the true religion of Christianity and how it's to be carried out. His teaching, not not the teaching specifically about him, but he is the son of God, even though you could argue that's part of it. It's about his teaching. It's very, very broad. It's the body of truth for which we are responsible. Now, here's number next. Where's the line? Where's the line drawn? Where do we draw the line? Back to our text in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. There are three things here in specific that, that Paul references. Now, these are important because it, because it comes to this conclusion that if if we don't follow this doctrine, or if you have people in the church, or people even outside the church, that, that are causing problems in the church with, with doctrines inconsistent with the doctrine, then you're to avoid them. So this is very, very strong. And it raises some questions. Is it only true about people in our congregation? Would it be true about those out of, outside of our congregation? The answer is, it would be both. We, we, uh, you think about all the different religions that surround us in, in maybe a 15-mile radius. I don't know what the number is, but it would be high. And, and there are some that are practicing and teaching things that are just, just wrong, and if you, just inconsistent with Scripture. And so does this passage teach us that we need to get up every Sunday and talk about those and avoid those? And, and that's, not, that's not the case. But I'll tell you what is the case. If you had a, a church of whatever kind near us, and their leadership was making efforts to, to come into this church and to confuse and to teach false doctrine, this verse would be engaged for our elders to get up and say, we've got to warn you about what's going on here. Uh, this doctrine is not right. This doctrine is false with Scripture. And let's open our Bibles together. We'll see why that's true. So those would be marked or those would be identified Inside the church, of course, it's true as well. But it doesn't involve everybody that might believe a false doctrine. Why is that true? Because the same Bible that teaches this also teaches that we have babes in Christ. And so what if you have someone who's just become a Christian and he's not versed in the Scriptures? He doesn't know much about the Bible. That's not who this is talking about. Three things. Look back, look back to the passage in Romans 16, verse 17. I urge you, brethren, note, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. These are people who are causing division. It's not just somebody who's, who's weak or somebody who's not knowledgeable of Scripture and is confused about one doctrine or, or another. This is somebody who has an agenda. He's somebody who's come in, coming in like Second John 7 and 8 to teach a false doctrine or to promote some false doctrine. And maybe he came into the church and he brought it with him. And now what he wants to do is to change people's minds into a false doctrine. And and you say, well, what do we do? The answer is he's got to be avoided. He's got to be noted and to be avoided. And we can't be a part of that. That's strong language. I'm telling you that. But it's not Glenn's language. That's the language of Scripture. Second John would say that we read a while ago would say, don't receive him into your house and don't bid him God's speed. If you bid him God's speed, you're partaker of his evil deeds. What do you call the false doctrine? The answer is you call it the evil deeds. You call it evil. Can we know it? Well, it sure would be silly to say that's evil if you couldn't discern the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. 
Of course we can know it. Furthermore, our passage today says that this is the doctrine which they learned. Not only can you know it, you can teach it. What does the Bible say? It's what today. You're at a place where, where with reference to what we do or believe or practice, questions, when questions arise, what, what we're going to do is to sit down with the New Testament and we're going to go passage to passage. It might, that discussion may start with, there are five different passages of scripture, the New Testament, that, that address this question. Let's read all five, and then we'll know what the New Testament says about this. Now, how sure are you that if you read the five passages that you'll know what the New Testament says about it? The answer is you will. Of course you will, because the purpose of the New Testament is to communicate God's will to our lives so that we can hold to this doctrine of Christ. So here are the three things. Here's how you identify the ones from whom you're to pull back, avoid them. They cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Number two, they serve their own belly. That's an interesting phrase. It means literally the abdominal cavity. So what does that mean? It means that, it means that in reference to their doctrine, they're based on their feelings more than they are on scripture. I know that we could grow this church so much bigger if we would change this, not talk about this, do this differently, but it's inconsistent with Scripture. What's he doing? Well, he's serving his own belly. That's what he's doing. That's what that is. And then the third thing is it says they use smooth and flattering speech. Smooth speech. I gave you an example of that when the sermon started. It goes like this. Doctrine divides. Jesus unites. Utterly flawed and utterly wrong. And if that's true, this passage is false. So, one more thing. Verse 18, and this is very touching to me. I mean, you, you read this by the bottom of verse 18, by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. I'd like to consider myself one of the simple. You, know, you I won't spend time on it right now, but, but you, can, you can find Jesus referred to by this same Greek word. And it means, it means um, there's a, it's a, just a precious virtue, I think, in people. And Christians, we, we're slow to believe bad things about people. We, you know, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things, 1 Corinthians 13. We, we, uh, we, we don't like to chase snakes and dig them up to kill them. We, we, we live simple lives. We want to see the best in people. That's, that's the simple. But then there's a group of people for whom this would be an accurate word. And it's not that they're unintelligent. It's just, it's just that, that they are perhaps young in the faith. Perhaps it's that, that they're easily misguided. They don't know a lot about scripture yet. They're going to, but they don't yet. And thank God for elders. So he created a system by which you have wise, knowledgeable men in a church who helps us. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Now you obey them that have the rule over you, because they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that it may be well with you, that they may do it with joy, not with grief. That's not profitable. And so he he put in a safeguard for us and for these simple. But in reference to this passage for today, the threat is that you have somebody coming in to the church, or maybe they're without the church and they're reaching in, and what they're trying to do is to 
pervert the doctrine of Christ, and they're trying to bring people over with smooth and flattering words. And the, and the answer to that is abrupt, and it is utterly intolerant. That's just, the, that's just the way of it. And so the notion that Christendom today, that really healthy religion of Christianity should be all divided. And while maybe some people are getting it wrong and some people are getting it right, that it doesn't matter, that we're all part of the Christian faith. And there's this massive umbrella. And the problem with that is that in these passages we've been talking about, that's not how it's portrayed. It's not. What happens is that that the only, the only person in Christendom, I suppose, in that way of thinking, who should be pushed back, or you should push back against, would be the one who said, no, everything is not right. What's right is what the Bible says, and this is what it says. You, you, what kinds of things, I mean, I, you, you can, you can just look at a, a whole litany, and I know, I know you could use your imagination about how many things uh, are scattered about Christendom that are just utterly false doctrine. I'm telling you that the devil's work in the church of creating division isn't... I mean, he, atheism has hurt us, no question. And if it's close to you, it's hurt you a great, great deal. But the bigger issue to hurt Christianity has been denominationalism and the teaching of these kinds of ideas. So babies, when they come into the world, ought to be called sinners because they inherited the sin of their forefathers. They inherited Adam's sin. God didn't create a hell. There is no eternal punishment for people who are away from Christ, they simply ceased to exist. The creation wasn't in six literal days, which always is interesting to me. You know, if, you, if you're going to criticize true doctrine, why don't you go ahead and start early so people will question everything as being not right? Right? Go ahead and start early and say in the creation it wasn't six literal days like the Bible says. And if you wonder if that's six literal days, read Exodus chapter 20 and you see the giving of the Ten Commandments and it was six literal days. God accepts you the way you are. Well, now, if you mean by that that even the Apostle Paul, who had been guilty of taking the lives of Christians, even he could become a Christian and be forgiven. Well, that's true. If you mean by that, if I'm gay and I'm proud of it, and I'm going to, or I'm a, home, I'm a, I'm a, an adulterer, or I'm a this or a that, I live away from God, and God wants me the way I am, meaning I can continue in my sin. That's simply false. That true Christians keep the Sabbath, or that women should lead if they've got the talent, if they've got the abilities. Just like men, they should be preaching and they should be elders in the church. That's false doctrine. Or that leadership should support homosexuality even among the leaders of the church. Or that worship really ought to ultimately be for the pleasure and the entertainment of the worshipers. That's false doctrine. And it's inconsistent with the doctrine that the people in Rome had learned about what was right and wrong. Now, I'm going to give you one more list. Next slide. 
So what we've talked about is that is that we can we can reason through this and we can we can uh, sort through it and we can argue this. What I'm saying is that the scripture in these passages teach that there is such a thing as true doctrine. It teaches that it can be learned and we can know it. It teaches that we're responsible for it, and it teaches that we are to abruptly protect it. And when somebody comes in and what they want to teach is inconsistent with it, we're to avoid them. That is true, despite some things that you might have, and we might raise our hand and say, yeah, but Glenn, what about this? It's true despite the fact that that most people in Christendom flatly reject what the New Testament says here. What I just said, most, most in denominationalism, you can't stand this. You can't abide it, and so most people would reject it. This is true despite that. It's true despite the fact that there's no part of Scripture over which there's no disagreement among men on earth. Every verse of Scripture has a collection of arguments fighting against it. If I was the devil, that's how I would do it too. Because what happens is that the people look at, at all the disagreements and they look all the mess in Christendom and they come away with this. And, and, and I'm quoting someone from whom I read recently. Who are we to think that, that we might be the ones who got it most right? The view is that it's impossible to get it right. And thus, it doesn't really matter. It cannot matter. Because we can't get it right. If I was the devil, that's exactly what I'd want people to think. But you cannot reconcile that with these verses we've talked about. It is intolerant and it is clear. It presupposes that we can know the doctrine and that we must abide by it. Listen to me. I'm looking over here because I'm thinking about some of you. Some of you sitting here have parents who left the denominations of men, whatever they were raised in, whatever they were taught, whatever they believed, and they walked away from that because they came to Scripture and learned what the truth was. And it meant they they followed that. That's what you must do. And never adopt this philosophy that says, just because a passage is criticized by a lot of different people, I can't really know what it means. I may not know everything, and the fact is I don't. But I tell you this, the Bible teaches I'm responsible to study and understand the true doctrine, and that I'm to push back against people who would bring in false doctrine. That's what this says. What we're talking about is true despite the fact that there's some parts of Scripture which are more challenging than others. The same Bible that, that teaches Romans 16, 17, and 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says this. Paul say, or Peter said there were some things that Paul taught that were difficult to understand. That's in the same book. What is true is true about this, despite the fact that this is true. Here's the next one. Churches where the truth is taught will sometimes come apart over disagreements. That's just, that's heartbreaking, but it's just true. Sometimes that's going to happen. But it doesn't damage or even bruise the truth that Paul taught in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 that we've been discussing today. And number five, Scripture shows that there are matters of judgment. There are matters of judgment. I've got to be able to discern between those matters that I've been talking about, about whether or not God created a hell or whether or not it's okay for women to be the preachers or all of that list that I gave you a moment ago. And some things are matters of judgment. Now, let me tell you about the Lord's church. It's autonomous. It's a brilliant system. We talked about it some last week. And that means that the scriptures in the New Testament 
teach us that each congregation is to have our own elders. Romans 14 and verse 23, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. Every congregation has her own elders, and there's no authority on earth above that el- those elders. That's Christ is the next one, right? We're all serving under Christ through his word. In a local congregation, there are going to be matters of judgment. And sometimes those judgments may not be the same that I would make, but they've got it right. And you, you think about matters of judgment. What kinds of things are we talking about? Some, sometimes the leadership of the church has the judgment that we shouldn't have a kitchen in our, our building or a place for eating in the building. Have they got a right to do that, hold that? Yeah. Well, sure, that's a matter of judgment. They've got the right to, to think like that if they wish. They're, they're, you don't have regulations in scriptures governing how a church building ought to be handled that way. And maybe, maybe a gymnasium in a church building. Now, listen, I, I think that's ill-advised. That's not what I would do. But is that a matter of doctrine that Paul is talking about here? It is not. Because, again, it, you, you're going to have a hard time with consistency. The Bible doesn't give you instructions about how the church building is to be used. Some churches are having their, their main worship like we are right now, and then in the evening uh, they will divide into house groups, not house churches, but they'll divide into different groups and they'll have devotionals at different people's houses. Do I think that's a good idea? I really don't. I think that it could be done well. I, I think it's if it's not done well, what's going to happen is that you you have the potential for schism, for division. And and uh, it's a very dangerous thing. So if you're not careful, I, I think there's a way that it could be done rightly. But the point, that's not the point. The point is that, that that's a matter of judgment. It's still a matter of judgment. And, and you, could, you could go on and think of others. Some, some congregations hold that, that an elder, a man who would be an elder, has to have more than one child. Others, that a man with one child meets the qualifications. How do we... Are these matters of doctrine? I would argue they're matters of judgment. And that a church has autonomy, and that a church has elders, and that they are... They are the ones who, who help us to hold together with reference to matters of judgment. That's their role, and to help us go to heaven. And I've got to recognize that, that, that matters of judgment don't fall into the category that Paul is talking about here when he says you need to avoid these people. These are people who are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. These are people who are using flattering speech and smooth speech to divert people from what the doctrine is. And they've been very successful for an awful, awful long time. Now, sometimes I say when I talk about these kinds of things that this is objective truth, whether or not I'm right with God, whether or not I'm pleasing to God is just not the question. And if anybody listens to this and they say, well, I just think that's arrogant. Well, you know what? It's not about me. This is just about what the Bible says with reference to this. And I'm telling you that's what it says. And you don't have to trust me. You just read it for yourself. He says, I want you to note them or mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and I want you to avoid them. And John says, whoever transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now, we could just get as mad as we want to about that, but whoever transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. And if a man comes... And he, and he teaches something different. We've got to reject him and not receive him into our house or endorse him. 
No, we're, we're, we've got to hold to the doctrine which we've learned, which taught is taught in the New Testament. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope it'll give you things to think about. And if you have any questions or want to talk about this some more, I'm certainly open to that. God bless you for being here. We're going to, I want to ask if there's somebody here who wants to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been studying about it. Maybe you've come to the conclusion that you need to be a Christian. And we would just rejoice with that. And we'll take you to the New Testament. We'll do just what they did in the New Testament to obey the gospel. And you can leave here today a child of God. Repent of your sins and confess him. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And on that confession, Romans 10.10, we'll baptize you into Christ. If you need the prayers of Christians, now would be such a good time. We'll stop what we're doing and we'll pray for you. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.